in a global industry where anything can happen, where mistakes can cost far more than dollars. One oil and gas sales expert, one HSE professional, and the greatest PPE provider on the planet must come together. Two men, one brand, one mission. Red Wings Oil and Gas HSE podcast with Mark LaCour and Patrick Pister starts now. Hey, it's Mark LaCour, and this show is for everybody who has an interest in HSE in the oil and gas industry. Brought to you by Red Wing, the leaders in PPE, ensuring your people go home safe every day. Joining me today is my nimble co-host, Patrick Pister. Hey, Mark. How you doing? We're doing awesome, Patrick. Uh, we've been busy lately, haven't we? We have. We just got back from San Antonio from the SPE, A-T-E-C-E. I always get those <laughs> letters backwards. Do you, do you remember what that stands for? That is the um, Annual Technical Conference and Exposition. Very good, yeah. Nailed had, it. <laughs> yeah. We had a great time there. Um, look out for that show. But before we go any further, I want to talk about reviews. If you want to help support our show, and please, if you're listening, help us support there's no better way than you can do it by leaving us a review. It takes all of five minutes, and if you leave a review, we're going to give you a big shout-out. So here's a big shout-out right now to um, uh, J-N-T-Y-S-O-N. Patrick and Mark do a great job sharing information and showcasing great companies who are bringing real change and technology to the oil and gas industry. This podcast covers much more than safety from a company perspective and reaches out into all aspects of health, safety, and environment, from design and engineering controls all the way to the social aspects of HS&E. Um, so, congrats! I mean, a big shout out to uh, J N T Y S O N for the review. Please, folks, support us. Leave us a review. It takes all of five minutes. And Patrick, we are not alone today, are we? We are not alone. We've got Valerie Jones, the se- one of the senior editors at Rig Zone. Hello, hello. Hey, Valerie. Hi. <laughs> Thanks you for coming on the show. Thanks for having me. Um, you and I have known each other for a while, haven't we? It's been a couple years now. Yeah, and you actually do some really good work. So, if anybody follows Rig Zone, you definitely have to follow Valerie. Uh, she does some great reporting out there. And Valerie, you just recently completed some survey work, which was actually some really cool information. Yeah, so I just completed a survey. I call it my Rig Zone Worker Exodus Survey. And it just as the title suggests, it's about the influx of oil and gas, well, not influx, but the oil and gas professionals who have left due to the downturn. Um, either they were laid off, they left voluntarily, they retired, they're no longer there, and also kind of looked at industry sentiment overall. Yeah, and so what are some of the key takeaways from that? Um, Key takeaways from this, I thought, was first in our respondents. We had about 1,500 responses globally, so that's from about 100 different countries that were represented. So I like to see the the different countries uh, responding because it seems like we had a very thorough pool to select from. So let me um, kind of stop you right there. What countries were like the biggest response? Well, not surprisingly, we had almost a quarter from the U.S., so that was 23% there. Um, the U.K. actually had 11% response rate, and India had 8%, and then Canada at 5%. After that, it drops down a little bit but upon countries. Yeah, and if you take a look at this, we'll put a link in the show notes so you can check it out. It's all Every place there's oil <laughs> responded. So y'all, y'all got a good sample. Yeah, I was very pleased. We pushed it out through our um, email database, and we shared it on Twitter, Facebook, LinkedIn, all of Rig Zone's social media, as well as mine, and then a couple of my coworkers shared it on their social media platforms as well. All right, so that's one of the key takeaways. What's another one? I was quite interested in the industry sentiment because if you look at the past two and a half years, it doesn't seem like people would have a, a great view of the industry. But what I've noticed is that they are a little bit bullish and a little bit optimistic. If I could just share a couple of stats with you from industry sentiment question I had specifically, 29% of respondents said that they were uncertain about the industry. That's not surprising, right? Right. 
I also found surprising that aside from the 29% that were uncertain, there was 24% who were in fact optimistic. That is surprising, huh, Patrick? That yeah. Even your middle is downturn, or at the end of this downturn, you have people that big a percentage that were optimistic. I think we're we're everybody's optimistic. We're at the bottom. We're gonna. <laughs> there's only one way to go. Right. right. And again, that optimism comes from the entire pool of respondents. So not just those who are still employed. It's those who are laid off too. So that shocked me. I wasn't expecting that. And then after that, it kind of goes to more of the same. There were some disenchanted people, about 13%, 7% were angry, 2% were content, which is not surprising. I don't know who would be content in the industry at this, but 2% said they were. The thing that I thought was really cool about this is the, um, the, the percentage of your respondents that were more senior people in the industry. So you had a very high turnout of people that have been in this industry for 10, 15, 20 years. Right. And that was actually pleasing to me because I was like, you know, I get a lot of emails personally from new entrants in the industry or those who are trying to get into the industry. But the fact that so many people who are seasoned professionals had so much to say and were willing to speak to me about this was great. I was able to pull together an entire feature based on what's going to happen to these professional veteran workers like where are they going will they come back how are they feeling and I got a lot of good feedback I don't think aside from those who have retired and moved on or kind of done with the industry there is kind of a sentiment of hey I would like to return and that was the most interesting to me because I I have heard about the oil and gas industry and seen it firsthand that when we have downturns people get snake bit they go into construction and other other related fields right and when the when the market picks back up they just they don't want to come back they're worried about the next downturn and that's not what you really found on with this downturn with this survey. Right. This survey kind of refuted that. So that was also surprising to me. I'm glad that I did this because at the time when I wanted to do it, there was just so much, so many unknowns. We didn't have that unique kind of insight that I thought would be good for me to continue to write about careers in oil and gas at this point in time during the downturn when now that it kind of you know, leveled out and we were looking for an upswing. I didn't know how people were feeling. I didn't know how they felt about it. I didn't know where they were, where they'd gone. I wanted to know if you left the industry, where are you? Will you come back? And what will it take for you to come back? So that's kind of why I did the whole survey to begin with. What was really cool too, that bit of uh, experience uh, data that you had is that about half of those people had been laid off and yet they still responded to your survey, which means you got a, once again, a good sample. And then a large percentage of them were, were looking for work in oil and gas. Yeah. So they got laid off and they may or may not have been working somewhere else. They still wanted to return. And I think the only caveat was that if they would be offered a position where they were making equal to or more than what they made prior, which isn't an unreasonable request, I don't think, but they were willing to come back even through all the dips. And these are coming from some people who'd been through a couple of these cycles. So yeah. So back to what Patrick was saying. So I've talked to a lot of people unofficially, right? We've done no survey or work around this, but it seems to me that a lot of the young people that unfortunately got laid off are the ones that ran, right? The ones that went somewhere else, whereas the people have been in this industry for a while, you know, they've been through one, two, or three downturns, and they know that eventually it's going to come back. I think there's a lot to be said about resilience of, of workers. You know, I hate to say it, but sometimes some younger workers, they get the taste of the oil field life, they love it, and then as soon as something happens, they're like, oh, no, this isn't what I thought it was going to be. But speaking to those veteran workers, kind of developing those relationships, understanding the industry, because you'll hear all day it's cyclical, it's cyclical, it's cyclical, until you get hit with one of the cycles or one of the um, – you know, valleys, and you're like, well, you know, I don't know. It's really not for everybody, and I say that to say I've spoken with people who have said 
they speak to these new entrants, they speak to these petroleum engineers at the colleges, and they're all excited, but they make it very clear to them, especially in these past two years, you know, you're going to be entering a field into which you're going to have some real challenges, especially now. It's going to be hard getting a job, getting an internship, getting put on. If you really want to be here, he said, the ones who really want to be here will stick it out. The ones who won't will change their major or do whatever. And he said, at the end of the day, I think that's a little bit better than having people come into the industry for the wrong reasons, for money or for whatever, what have you. Well, yeah, and I had heard the um, the crash in the 80s um, that the bar exam in Texas had taken off oil and gas questions from the bar exam, that, that nobody thought the industry was going to come back. Like you said, it is cyclical. It will come back. It's just how resilient are you? Are you going to leave, wait for it to come back? Or are you going to still be fighting to stay in the industry? And it actually, when you were talking, it reminded me of one of the uh, oil and gas internet memes I remember seeing, you know, you know Lord, if the if you let the, the oil and gas industry come back, I promise not to blow all my money on. Right. <laughs> no new cars, yeah. no new trucks. <laughs> yeah. And, and just, I need to throw this in here just for our audience that may be from different segments. So we're predominantly talking about upstream right now and the service companies that touch upstream. Um, you know, downstreams, parts of downstream are on fire right now because their raw feedstock has been cut by 60%, you know, during this low crew price. So. And rig zone, actually, this is probably a good time to back up a little bit. If our audience has never heard of rig zone, which I find impossible to believe that anybody that listens to us has never heard of rig zone, what is rig zone? Rig zone, as the name suggests, we do typically focus on upstream, but we have recently taken hold of our sister site, which was downstream today. That is actually part of rig zone now. So we actually have downstream, midstream, and upstream news all in one on rigzone.com. But we, we provide market data. Me being an editor, I focus on the news side, but we have a full sales team. We have a jobs board, which, of course, right now is, is doing what it's doing with considering the market conditions. But we're mostly known for our jobs board, and those jobs are primarily in upstream jobs, but we do have downstream jobs as well. Well, that's, that's a good and a bad thing because I use RigZone for getting news and, and checking oil prices. But I think there's a bit of a stigma. If you're looking at RigZone at work, you're looking for a new job. I, it's changed I hope a little. you're looking at news. <laughs> but it, it has changed a little bit, but I, I feel like every time I was looking at Rig Zone News, I had to explain. It's like, I'm not looking for a job. I'm looking at the news. So. <laughs> yeah, we have news, guys. <laughs> and, and Rig Zone is, is my first memory of, of doing anything online with oil and gas was Rig Zone. I mean, y'all have been around forever. Yeah, yeah. We have um, a few decades in this, and I think that from where they started to where they are now, leaps and bounds. And, you know, in, in some instances with a, a bit smaller staff, like really just figuring out what works and getting it right and trying to make sure that the audience not only gets to come and look for their jobs, but in times where there aren't as many jobs, you're still able to come here and get your industry news. Yeah. And it's a great place for it. But hold on, Mark, before we get too far away from you, as Mark mentioned that the, you know, the downstream industry is on fire right now, but I don't see in my experience that a lot of people really cross the sectors. They don't go up to downstream. They don't go midstream to upstream. It's, if you're upstream, you're upstream. If you're downstream, you're downstream. You being with RigZone and you know focused on the career side of things, do you see that cross-pollination? Are the upstream workers going to mid and downstream to stay in the industry? Patrick, it's interesting that you asked that because I did do a story um, maybe a few months ago about, it's, I called it sector switching. Um, is it a thing? and Are you doing it? And very few people had, had said it, but what I most saw were people moving from upstream to like midstream and consulting positions. So as far as skill level and uh, I guess and actually the work being done, it was kind of niche. Like if you're coming from a drilling capacity, it, it wasn't a lot of, of room to kind of move into a different sector. I think it can be done. It's just not quite as common. Like I didn't have a lot of response for that story. And so to me, that said that people aren't doing that as much. But also, I think a little bit counts when you're applying for some of these jobs. First of all, taking inventory of the skills that you do have, seeing if they are transferable. Some of them may be, 
But again, it's being able to recognize it and get that to the hiring manager, getting that into the room. Because during the downturn, people were doing a lot of, well, well, what do I do? There may be opportunities in midstream or downstream that you weren't made aware of. It's good to kind of talk it out and talk to people who may be working in those industries already, seeing if there's a need, and then kind of taking a chance because you really have nothing to lose at that point. So you think it's more on the employee side, the self-doubt? It's not the employers. They're looking for qualified, skilled workers right. at, wherever you come from. Right, absolutely. It's a cultural thing, right? If you work for an upstream service company, you work for Halliburton, and you get laid off, you're only going to look at other upstream service companies. You're only going to look at Schlumberger, Weatherford, Baker Hughes. You're not going to look at any of the downstream. And if your skills are not too specialized, if you're a project manager or an accountant, you know, those are definitely applicable, you know, to different parts of the, of the industry. The problem is nobody thinks outside of their own segment of the industry. Look at, look at Houston. So Houston has an upstream-centric culture. In the last couple of years, if you'd grab somebody on the street and say, how's the oil and gas industry doing, they'd go horrible. And then you tell them, well, ExxonMobil's petrochemical division has grown 100% in revenue year over year. They're, they're fabric glasses. And we have a ton of downstream. We have $85 billion with a B worth of new downstream projects right here in our backyard. Nobody knows that talks about it. Nobody knows. So exactly. it's, it's a cultural thing. It's, it's one of the things that I'm seeing with this newer generation that's entering our industry is they tend to at least understand there's different segments of the industry. Whereas my generation, you know, if I went to work for, you know, ExxonMobil Pipeline, I only knew Pipeline and I thought that was the whole world. So it's a cultural thing. Right. I would I would definitely agree. And I mean, I have a lot of people who I know personally who are working in the refineries and have been really untouched throughout these two and a half years. Again, the focus is typically on upstream oil field services were hit horribly hard. But um, yeah, downstream is still running and gunning in a lot of areas. And I think there's still a lot of investments being made there. So hopefully that will kind of offset some of this this doom and gloom with upstream, even though I think it is getting a little bit better now. Yeah, the other thing I see is um, a big need for tech companies to have the experience and what's in people's heads from upstream. So, for instance, you know, a tech company may have a software that helps reservoir engineers actually do work better, but they need what's in the reservoir's engineer's head. But the reservoir engineer would never think about going to work for a tech company in Silicon Valley. He wants to go work for another major or super major. So it's just, you know, if you're out there and you're looking back up um, use a tool like RigZone. Look at what's out there and don't narrow, don't focus on what you did before. Look at the entire industry because I promise you there's, there's jobs out there. And to that point, I think tech in itself, people really don't realize how much technology and innovation is going to, to take a part in this, in this recovery for, for um, the entire industry because people will be looking for innovative ways to do things. They're already doing more with less, quote unquote, and they're already looking in ways to um, optimize the people that they do have but still get the work done. And if they can't get the people that they need, they're going to need to find a way to get it done. So technology is going to play a big role. That skill level and expertise that some of these young graduates are coming to the industry with, those will be invaluable. And I've had several people in the industry tell me that, extremely valuable. So don't think that just because you don't fit the cookie cutter mold of what you think a driller might need to be, you still have some value to add. So don't rule yourself out and don't rule the industry You get the image out. in your mind of just heavy steel, right. know, big, strong men doing things. But it's, every conference we've been to, there's been some kind of augmented reality, machine learning. Robotics, and, yeah. yeah that, it's, it's different. It's changing. It's exciting, too. It can, it can be sexy still. It doesn't have to be Silicon Valley. It doesn't have to be the only place that's sexy. You can be sexy in oil and gas. I think they should make a billboard or something about that, how sexy it can be. And you don't even have to get dirty sometimes. So yeah. I think that's also another misconception. Data scientists. That's the number one job the oil and gas industry as a whole can't fill right now. Right. Data scientists. That job didn't even exist five years ago. Yeah, so there's a perfect example of somebody that could have a skill set that you wouldn't think would be applicable to oil and gas. And it's extremely applicable to oil and gas. So, Valley, I want to go back a little bit and talk about the surveys y'all did, because the other thing I thought was really interesting is y'all were able to do some good demographic works on there. So you actually saw the differences between the different generations in the oil and gas. Can we talk about that a little bit? 
Sure. So <laughs> basically what I did was I took the data and I uh, moved it into regions. So I had EMEA, I had APAC, and I had North America. Okay, let me stop you in case our audience doesn't know what EMA is. Is Europe, Middle East, and Africa, mm-hmm. and APAC is Asia Pacific. Yes. Right? So different ge- geographic areas of the world. Yes. Okay. Sorry. And um, so I took the leading country from each of those. So the U.S. had the most respondents from North America. So I just kind of used them as a snapshot. So just a little bit from that, U.S., 45% of U.S. respondents had more than 20 years of industry experience. So that's to say almost half of respondents from the U.S. were very, very experienced. Uh, 36% of them were over the age of 55 and 29% of them responded that they felt a bit uncertain about the industry. So those are all majority responses there. Compare that to the UK, who led the pack for EMEA. They had 48% of respondents who had more than 20 years of experience, which is also another seasoned group. 59% were Gen Xers. So this differs from the US, and a lot of them were uh, middle managers, 36 to 54 years old is what we used in our uh, survey. 26% of them, so a little bit over a quarter, responded that they were quote unquote disenchanted with the industry. So essentially we have some disenchanted Gen Xers in the UK. From Asia, India let the pack and 53%, 53% of India respondents were 18 to 35 years old, which I peg as millennials. So they're a young group. And you know that might lend me to believe why they were a bit optimistic. They had 34% of those people were optimistic about the industry. I, I was very hard pressed to find somebody who I thought would be optimistic about the industry. They had a third of people who felt that way. But again, I don't know if that's being young and maybe not having been through as many cycles. I don't want to read too much into that, but that's just what the data tells me. I thought it was a bit interesting. So as a Gen Xer, because I was born in 1965, so I'm the very first Gen X out there, I am not disenchanted. Disenchanted? Okay. Not at all. (laughs) Well, you're also based here. Maybe that's just the UK Gen Xers. I don't know. They feel a little differently. But I just found that to be interesting because, again, I really expected this to be skewed industry sentiment-wise towards really – negative feelings and this is telling me you know it's not as negative as we think and this is coming from people who have been laid off so it's not all doom and gloom don't believe all the headlines don't let that you know make a framework for thinking the industry is doomed it's not it will be changing and it will be different but there will still be opportunities and we're just kind of waiting to see what they're going to be yeah it's i love the fact that our industry as a whole tends to be optimistic. And I know we just went through a major downturn. I know a lot of people unfortunately lost their jobs. But to see the survey data come back where people, you know, are optimistic or, or at least are, you know, they're looking forward to what's coming in the future. And, you know, I, I just think that goes to show the culture of our industry as a whole is, is one of just, you know, we're going to get stuff done. Even when things get bad, we know eventually we're going to pull out of it and, and we're going to get stuff done. Yeah, resilience is, is insane. <laughs> yeah, and so, and so looking at the at the demographics with that that large group, that twenty percent uh, above fifty five years old, are we still looking at the great crew change? Are we in the middle of it? Is it is it taking place? It was something that people haven't been talking about because of the downturn. A lot of people lost their jobs, got run off. But is that still a concern that companies are are going to have to deal with in the next couple of years? I think honestly, the great crew change has happened. And now it's, it's, it's what are we going to do afterwards? So we've been talking about it for how many years now, you know, we're going to have older workers retire. They're going to leave. We're going to have a, a gap in between, you know, where we didn't have as many uh, Gen Xers. Now we're trying to get the young people. They don't want to work here. So I think the industry now is really tasked with figuring out how to get it done. We've, we've had all this lead up to it. It's happened. So now the workers are gone. So what are we doing there in between? Are we getting it right this time? Because it is a serious something, a serious issue that needs to be addressed and 
you know, I guess it's kind of yet to be seen. I don't know if we're handling it properly. I guess time will tell. But I do know, I firmly believe that the industry has a bit of work to do getting the younger generation on board with with the industry. And I think a lot of that can come from just simply education. Because if you take the average young adult, I feel like there's so much about the industry they don't realize. They don't realize some of the things they use come from oil and gas. They just, it's just not knowing. And I think that the industry can work to rectify that. So is, is that backfill coming from internal or, or the companies that are still starting to ramp up? Are they being able to promote internally? Or are they, are they going to have to look external? I think promoting internally, me personally, is a great idea because um, again, I don't know if the data suggests this, but I read it somewhere about middle management and um, Gen Xers and wanting to move up and wanting to be promoted. And prior to the downturn or in the middle of the downturn and the beginning of the downturn, um, kind of being lost, you know, it, will there be room for me to move? Now that some of the boomers and then the retired people who have left the industry, they kind of leave a void there for some of those middle managers to kind of move up to senior positions and then turn around and help uh, bring up the next generation, too. So I think there's opportunities there. I don't know. We'll see how it plays out. But I'm optimistic that that would, that, that would work. You know, we talked about this during lunch. And I wish we could have had the microphones on, although it would have been hard to eat with the microphones on the table. <laughs> um, but we talked about our industry as a whole. Outside of, of places like Texas and Kongsberg and Rio, you know, the, our world's young people don't know about our industry. And we, as an industry, need to take responsibility for that. We have not done a good job of educating the world about the prosperity and the value that this industry brings to the planet and we're, we're going to suffer for that i firmly believe that, that like you said a whole bunch of young people don't know anything about this industry in fact what they do know is probably not based upon facts and so they have no desire to come in this industry and it's going to happen at a point where we need people we need we need talent so you know you want to talk a little bit about that right absolutely mark i don't think this is something that can be ignored or pushed to the side or no i i think it was and forgive me if i get the company wrong I believe it was EY who recently did a report and it showed just the complete disconnect between industry professionals and the consumer and and what they thought of the industry. And while a lot of the oil and gas professionals and executives actually, they felt that they weren't doing as good of a job in educating the public, there were really no ways given on how to correct that. It's just kind of like, yeah, we're not doing such a great job, I don't know correct it because again like mark said these young people that are kind of eh, turned off by oil and gas for whatever reason even if it's not true a misconception at the end of the day you're still going to need them there will be gaps there will be a, a fight for talent and you'll need them you need some of their skills and you won't want them to all be looking to go to silicon valley some of them need to come to oil and gas so how do you reach them if it's changing your marketing do that if it's getting consultants who know how to speak to young people do that but it's simply something that cannot be ignored and it's really important because we will have a skills gap and it's just going to keep widening yeah and i agree with you 100 percent. so the research that we've done over the last six years has shown that the number one constraint in our industry in the future is a lack of talent and there is no magic island of petroleum engineers that you can go find if you don't build that talent chain early on um, you're not going to have that talent. And, and our industry is literally companies going to be held back or companies are going to uh, jump over their competitors based on their ability to tap into this young talent pool. Well, and so we've been kind of building on what I wanted to direct this conversation to, that there is a, a lack of talent. We expect the industry to start ticking in the upward direction, which means you're going to be hiring new employees, whether it's people from outside the industry coming in or from outside of your company coming in. Now you've got to train these people up, you've got to indoctrinate them into the safety program. Invariably, when you have these kind of upticks, you have increased incident rates. 
what are companies doing to shorten that learning curve to make people safer on the job when they're either just coming into the industry or just joining a company? I think that's an excellent million dollar question. I'm <laughs> sure to ask that of everybody I interview because honestly, Patrick, I do not get a for sure answer there. You know, I think I hear a little bit of each. I hear, like you said, or you might have mentioned during lunch, safety is, is of the utmost importance. We will never stop investing into, into that, you know, but if we're on the flip side laying off part of our HSC department, you know, you really can't say that you're not being affected. I think in bringing in whomever, young, old, any new worker, it needs to stay top of mind because you don't, the last thing you want is during a downturn to get lax in, in your safety measures. But again, having an employer really tell me what they're doing, I don't recall at this moment. That's not to say nobody's told me that, but I want to make sure if I, if I say that that I, that I know exactly what was said. And I can't recall now, but I know it's top of mind for them. It should be, especially considering some of the things that have happened in the past. They don't want any repeats of that. So we'll see. Yeah, you know, Patrick, from a safety professional point of view, how long does it take to get somebody new up to speed in HSN where they actually can be effective? I mean, that's not like a one-month process. It really depends on the culture because you know, we talk about millennials. Millennials want to be, they want to know the, the why. And the older generations are more on the just, you know, I told you to do something, do it. And I've seen cultures that will take the time to explain the why. This is why we, we do 100% tie-off. And this is what 100% actually means. It doesn't mean 99.9%. So companies that are able to explain the why can build a culture with these, these younger guys coming into the field, guys and girls. And then they embrace it. I think it's the older mindset where it's just the do your job, get it done. Mm-hmm. Why weren't you following procedure? I told you to do it. Well, those are the ones that are going to have. I might question the procedure. I want to know why we're doing it this way. I know a better way, yeah. you know, inquisitive bunch. And then it comes down to the, you know, is time pressure an issue? Because once you throw time pressure on a, a good culture, it can go all go out the window. Well, right. Yeah, I want you to ask questions. I want you to understand what we're doing. But if time is a factor and we need to just get this do done, it. just do it. <laughs> and that, unfortunately, it's it it persists. It it even if it's a good culture, it'll somehow pop its head up. Not to say it happens every time, but like you said, Mark, it's not just a a one month or a one week onboarding class, and you've you're on board with the, the safety program. It's continuous every day every week every hit you go out you know you spend your time at home you forget what you were supposed to be doing if you're brought back into the fold when you come back it 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 depends but it can be it can be years before you really get a a new employee to fully appreciate and live eat and breathe that safety culture yeah so you take all the things that we've talked about here and the risk for a lot of companies out there is they're going to bring a young um, non-experienced workforce in because they have no choice and all of a sudden safety metrics are going to take a hit the wrong way if they're not careful if they don't think about it ahead of time yeah and it does happen every every uptick we have and you have to start hiring there is a there is a learning gap and you you always have the incident rate go up and i know companies are mindful of it but again at the time when they're trying to do a, a mass hiring they're more worried about getting the job done they need to have an equal focus on making sure the guys and girls out there are doing it safely. Hey, speaking of guys and girls, I ran across an interesting statistic um, from one of our other shows. Uh, Shell has built a new petrochemical plant, and 31% of their field techs are female. Not 31% of the employees, the people in the field are that's female. That's awesome. Isn't that awesome? Yeah. I mean, I just think that's a wonderful thing. So, Valerie, we're getting kind of close to needing to wind down the show. Um, this is time where we do our Red Wing Safety Tip of the Week. Do you have a safety tip for us? I do actually, this is for any new job entrant. Do not be scared to point out any safety precautions that are being ignored, whether this is from somebody at your level, a senior level executive, or even the CEO of the company. If the CEO of the company comes on the field and does not have on his or her proper safety gear, hey, you know, 
you need to say something and, and don't be afraid to say it because at the end of the day, that could be the difference between a good day at work or another Deepwater Horizon, horizon disaster. Yeah, it's um, that's a good point because a lot of people, Patrick, you and I both see this all the time. They're scared to point out to the senior people, hey, you don't have your glasses on or where's your hard hat? And you actually have some funny stories around that. I do, but I, I, it reminds me too that when you call out the CEO, a lot of times they like to play it off. You know, I was testing you. I wasn't wearing my safety glasses because right. I wanted to see if anybody would say something. <laughs> Maybe that's true, but I think a lot of times they just forgot and that's a way out. But uh, yeah, you're absolutely right. If you're the, you're the newest person on the job, you should not, you know, not be afraid to call a timeout or tell somebody they don't have their PP on, whatever level they are. Right. Uh, yeah, great safety tip. Hey, Valerie, see that yep. bag over there? Yes. That's the Red Wing Offshore bag. It's nice. It is nice. It's um, become a cult item. If Valerie wants to win one of these, what does Valerie need to do, Patrick? She needs to go to redwingshoes.com forward slash podcast and enter to win. Yep. And if our audience wants to win one of these, and I know you do because I get pinged every week about can I get one of these bags, no. The only way you can get one is go to redwingshoes.com forward slash podcast, enter your information, and we enter. We pull one lucky winner a week. And Patrick, this week's bag winner is? This week's winner of the Red Wing Offshore bag is... Tim Lamb. Tim is an infrastructure engineer at Noble Drilling. Congratulations, Tim. All right. So, Valerie, uh, thank you so much for coming on the show. If people want to find out more about RigZone, where should they go? Visit us on our website. That's RigZone.com, R-I-G-Z-O-N-E.com. Or if you want to know more about me personally or anything about this survey, you can email me directly at firstname.lastname at RigZone.com. That's V-A-L-E-R-I-E dot J-O-N-E-S, Valerie Jones, at rigzone.com. And Valerie's a great person. She's so helpful, so full of uh, information. Patrick will put links in the show notes so people don't have to be writing all this stuff down. Saying your email address made me miss the days when everybody would say all in word. That's Patrick Pister, all in word. (laughs) (laughs) Just in case. Speaking of links, if you haven't joined our LinkedIn group, you need to go join our LinkedIn group. Good segue, huh, Patrick? (laughs) Beautiful. (laughs) First time. It's the the companion to all of the current podcasts. So this one, Oil and Gas HS&E, Oil and Gas This Week, uh, Oil and Gas Industry Leaders. And it's where we announce everything second. If you want to learn where we announce stuff first, if you're listening to this show, go to oilandgashse.com and give us your email address. We won't spam you, and that's where we make announcements first. Uh, if you like the show, can you do me a favor? Can you share it with your friends, especially if you work for a big company? Do that reply all to an entire company and just put a link to Oil and Gas HSE, please. Uh, actually, if you do that, send me a screenshot and I'll send you something really cool, but it won't <laughs> be a Red Wing bag. Um, <laughs> and then, um, you know, we mentioned other podcasts. We have more podcasts on the way, so stay tuned. And then we have some events. Uh, we have, what are we going to, Patrick, next week? The IDC Human Factors Conference is in Galveston next week. We'll be down there. Yep. And then there's LAGO going on in Lafayette, October 24th and 26th. Patrick, I'll put you on the spot. What does LAGO stand for? Uh, Louisiana something or other. <laughs> <laughs> I actually don't, I'm not sure if I get it right. I think it's Louisiana Gulf Coast Oil Exhibition. Exhibition. They do it every other year. So if you don't go this year, you'll miss it next year. We're slighted to be there as press. We haven't quite figured out if we're going to make it there or not. But if, if you go, hit us up on Twitter. And if we're there, we'd love to uh, meet you in person. And then none of our travels could be possible without our on-the-road sponsors. Uh, so Total Land, the world's most field, advanced field land management system. If you're a landman or land person and you touch any of that stuff, go check them out. They make your life so much easier. And then Lee Heck Harrison. See? No and. You got it. I know. They're global experts in talent management. Over three-quarters of all the Fortune 500 oil and gas companies use uh, LH&H for leadership and workforce And you messed it up that time, though. LHH. LHH. Okay. <laughs> um, and which, by the way, if your company 
is out there and would like to be exposed to our shows like Total Land and Lee HH, we're doing something different for next year for 2018. We're actually picking up individual event sponsors. So uh, reach out to me. Uh, it's actually the cost is very low um, and it's a, a way for you to get exposed to our audience in a way that's productive. So reach out to me. I'd love to share details. Or, with you. or if you're hosting a conference, Mark and I, we kind of have our favorites, the ones we like going to. But if you've got something new or something we uh, we don't normally attend, let us know and we'll, we'll check it out. Yeah, if it's not on our radar, let us know. And speaking of that, if you want Patrick and I to come speak to your book club, your conference your hsne meeting whatever let us know we'll share those details as well valerie it was awesome man thank you so much for being on the thank show thank y'all this has been fun yeah ready out here patrick yeah let's do it all right folks don't be afraid to give up the good to go for the great y'all be safe out there tune in next week for another exciting episode of red wings oil and gas hsc podcast a production of the global oil and gas network Learn more from Mark LaCour at modalpoint.com. Connect with Patrick Pister at leanoilfield.com. From Houston to London to Dubai and beyond. You know, I have no idea why I'm such a pleasant, lovely person, but I get a little bit of hate mail from time to time. Um, people who aren't really necessarily happy with what was written or what the industry is doing. I really think it's the industry because I simply write the news. But um, it's not all rainbows and sunshine. People get pretty comfortable behind their um, behind their keyboards and they, they kind of go off on us a little bit. And I actually uh, flag them and keep them in a special folder so I can go back and read them later. I find it in, in, insanely funny and I'm often like, you know, thank you for... Thank you for reading. You know, <laughs> we appreciate it. There's really nothing to say at this point, but yeah.